along became the hero for the world i meant to say something about that okay oh, yeah, hero first. yeah it's so, funny because uh, when i was looking it up there like the navy releases this footage and i'm like i already saw that <laughs> and then i was like oh that's why everyone's like tom DeLong, he gets it because that's where i saw it i feel like this is an achievement for you as well as yes. for tom DeLong. you should personally be proud of yourself uh i am i also <laughs> truly have never it was the weirdest feeling of pride long <laughs> i'm just so proud of him he did it yeah he i don't know it's just it's it's fucking cool good for him yeah he worked hard i'm very happy for tom delong i i just wish that his dedication to at aliens and stuff didn't mean he didn't have to be in Blink-182 because that'd be nice if he was back. Well, I did some reading. Oh? I, okay. I, was, trying, I was trying to do a full-blown story on it, but I, I, I could not. Um... But yeah, they got into it because when he started, when Tom DeLonge started a boxcar kid, the band, um, Mark Hoppus, it was, it was him and uh, Travis Barker and then Mark Hoppus was not in it. So Mark was like, that's fucking rude. And then when Blink-182 was going to go on tour, uh, Tom DeLonge was like, I don't want to do any more long tours. I just don't. And then they got in a fight and they broke up. Mm. Well, I can't blame him. Long tours, why? Yeah, who are those for? Yeah. Not me. Just kidding. I'd go on a long tour. I would do maybe one or two, but like, I don't know. I like my bed. Yeah, even when you get to that rock star level where like your bed comes with you, it's still like a bed and a bus with two stinky dudes. Yeah. Or you just do it like Adele does it and come out like once every four years to like six places and you're like, okay, goodbye guys, I'm out. And that's it. Or do it like Fiona Apple does it and only release an album every 12 years, go on a half a tour, get thrown in jail for possessing hashish and then never leave her house. (sighs) Man, I love her. Fucking that fucking album oh my god yeah beautiful she's so fucking crazy i love her i love her she outdid herself she really did honestly yeah uh pitchfork gave it a 10 which they haven't done in like however many years they don't do that oh it's so good also i love all the shamika says i have potential Memes yeah. that have been out there with Terry. Yeah, is like embarrassed right now. She has to be that, or in my head, it's like someone he went, she went to like sixth grade with or something. Yeah, it's like oh yeah, a, totally sixth grade kind of thing, right? Yeah. Mm. Oh yeah. You know I when you're the, in sixth grade and you're like, you've got potential. You have potential. I feel like it's like the 
pretty girl being like, you could be hot. Just wash your hair. Uh, have y'all ever heard of or thought about doing an Everly Well thing? I don't know what that is. I don't either. Okay. So it's this, it's this company, a uh, little tech, little tech company in Austin, but they do at home, like all kinds of different tests. So you can do, um, I did like a GI like gut test. So it's going to tell me what I'm allergic to or okay. what I should not be eating. And then they also have like uh, fertility and like, is your sperm dope? And uh, I mean, just all kinds of shit. And I did the, the one for my, for my tummy the other day and I didn't realize that you had to uh, bleed. <gasps> so you have to like prick your finger and send in your fucking blood. Oh, I thought you meant out of your like pooper. I thought you meant like you had um, to, to check your tummy. No, you bleeding. rectal bleeding is a requirement for this test. <laughs> I mean, it's bad. It's bad user experience. Look, if it were a requirement, <laughs> I have passed. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I got some shit is going on over here. Well, but not. Play that. Blood is going on I over know. there. Yeah. I know. It's either nothing or way too much. Um, okay. <laughs> don't edit this. People need to know. Um, but it was just so fucking weird to mail my blood to Pennsylvania. They don't need that. <laughs> the Amish people use it to build their furniture. Somebody needs it. Yeah. Well, Welcome to Weird Brunch, then. Hello. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm Lisa Friedrich. I'm Karina Magar. I'm Whitney Lamond. We're in quarantined homes, so we're not allowed to be together. We're doing this over Zoom. Lisa's jeweling in the Aurora Borealis. Karina's relaxing in her couch. Yeah. And- Wait for Chipotle to show up. Mm-hmm. God, that sounds good. Yes. That does sound good. Everything does sound good. But it's not going to if I start talking about my story. What? It's oh. a Chipotle story? <laughs> yep. It's all about Chipotle. <laughs> So the founder of Chipotle, no. Um, have y'all ever heard of Letterman? The like David? Tucker. Yes. Oh, wow. What do you know? You've heard of David Letterman. Interesting. So speaking of David Letterman, did you know he had a stalker, like a yes. legit, yes. crazy, sad stalker? And her name was Mary Peggy Ray. Um, <laughs> Mary, Peggy or Mary? I'd say Peggy. All right. Peggy is the second of four children born to George and Loretta in Illinois. She grows up in the 70s, graduates. She goes into nursing drops out, gets married in her early 20s to this great guy named Gary. 
um, they have four kids together and she is going through her twenties. So she's still kind of like early to mid twenties and she starts showing symptoms of schizophrenia. Two of her brothers had schizophrenia and both of them ended up killing themselves. One in this in 77 and then another one a couple years before that. Uh, so she has an unfortunate history of schizophrenia. By 1982, her marriage to Gary ends in divorce and her mental health declines even more. Her husband gets custody of the four kids. She gets remarried. She has a fifth kid named Alex. And by 1984, uh, or 1989, sorry. Alex is born in 1984. 1989, she relinquishes custody of Alex to her own mom because she can't take care of this kid. So our friend Peggy first makes news in 1988 because she's arrested in Lincoln Tunnel for not paying a $3 toll. She was in David Letterman's Porsche that she had stolen from his own driveway and her three-year-old kid, Alex, is in the back. When she's getting arrested, she claims that David Letterman is her husband and that this is their son. And the police are like, no, ma'am. Um, she keeps trespassing constantly on Letterman's property. Um, she had been writing him for a long time. And he always said that you could tell when she was on her meds and you could tell if she wasn't off of her meds and just going nuts. So she's left cookies on his doorstep, an empty Jack Daniels bottle in the foyer of his house. She's sleeping on his property. Her exploits became a staple of tabloids and Letterman just kind of joked about it because there wasn't really anything else he could do in 1993 before taking the late night show to CBS. Letterman's top 10 things I have to do before I leave NBC included send change of send change of address forms to the woman who's been breaking into my house. Uh, so he's pretty public about all of this, but he says he never named her because he didn't see the humanity in it. So he left her nameless. Um, eventually she serves 34 months in jail and psychiatric hospitals for stalking David Letterman. Mm. Um, during the hospital stage or stays, she was prescribed 
antipsychotic drugs to treat her schizophrenia. Um, but she didn't like the drugs because it made her gain weight. And so she stopped taking it. That's almost all of it, but not all the way. After she gets released from jail in the early 90s, she then becomes totally obsessed with Story Musgrave, who is an astronaut. (laughs) And she um, writes him letters and sends him packages. And in 1994, she poses as a reporter and interviews him at the Johnson Space Center in Houston. In 97, she showed up at his house in Florida, and uh, she would tell people that she was writing a book with him and that she would die for him. He is a man of integrity and intelligence. Mm -hmm. Uh, She did also eventually serve time in Florida for trespassing on his property. Um. After she was in jail, she was in and out of psychiatric hospitals. She was released in 98 and stopped taking her meds, settled in Colorado, and started living off of Social Security. She then committed suicide in October oh. of 1998. And she kneeled on the railroad tracks and got run over by a fucking train. That was her way of like guaranteeing she would die. She wrote a note to her mom before she died and it goes as this. I'm all traveled out. I choose a painless and or I chose a painless and instantaneous way to end my life in the valley I loved and let it fucking train run her over. Jeez. Yeah. That's so why like, do people choose such painful ways to go? Yeah. Right? And like slow. Like you have to sit there and wait. I mean that's like that's why a lot of people uh, Shut up, Lisa. <laughs> Tiger craw cheating and train spotting. Right. Like, needlessly complicated. You're right. And and also, like, is the pain... I don't know. I shouldn't get into it. Yeah, right. That's why I was like, shut up, Lisa. Because, like, I don't know. A lot of times people take a fuck ton of pills and then five... Or, like, five seconds later, they're like, oh, shit. You're sitting there waiting on a damn train for how long? Yeah. How, that's dedication. That is. If nothing else, that is dedication. Did he ever did he ever joke about it on the show? Yeah, he did like a top ten list with her. Not her name. Yeah. Uh yeah. I don't know about after she died or anything, but when he was no. being stalked, he would loosely refer to her, it but wouldn't say her name. Man, he's had yeah. a crazy... Remember he uh, had to disclose his affair with somebody on the show because he was getting blackmailed and instead of like giving in to blackmailers, he was just like, oh, well, I'll just tell everybody the information. Now the information you're blackmailing me with is worthless. I don't yeah. remember that. Yeah, that was a big deal. That was 
later in his career when he was at CBS. I didn't know he was getting blackmailed. He was getting blackmailed uh, because someone found out he was having an affair with like somebody on the show. And he was just like, ah. With Paul? <laughs> I'll just tell everybody. <laughs> Wouldn't that be wonderful? Yeah. Did you know that Paul Schaefer wrote It's Raining Men? No. No, yes. he did not. He did. Ugh. Isn't that the best fact ever? I love it. I love it so much. Yes. Wow. All right. Let's talk about the founding mothers of Australia. Yay. So, um, and I did ask myself this, but then I answered it for myself, but the turn of the 18th century, which I did have to double check, meant the late 1700s. Yes. (laughs) And it does. Um, So, turn of the 18th century, the world is fucking awesome, right? Because America exists now. And um, if we go back to the uh, losing country, uh, less great Britain, because they lost America. Wink. Um, this is around. <laughs> this is around the time that uh, King George uh, declares the bloody code, which then made like 250 new things punishable by. <laughs> death or getting extradited um good day's work yeah so you've got you know full-ass jails a bunch of people that are like i don't know uh i guess i'm in trouble so that's when we start shipping criminals to crime island australia i wish it was called crime island um so they start doing this in 1787 two years later they're like, hold up, we sent all these dudes over there, but like, we have women, bad women too. They're bad, they're bad people. Um, also, uh, legit, the, the guy that was, uh, one of the guys at the colony uh, in Australia was like, these dudes keep fucking each other. Can you send women? And they kind of set up a breeding program to, like, make Australia great again or whatever. Or well, I guess great the first make time. Them perfect criminal, apparently. Yeah. Let's get them real smart. <laughs> uh, so they're like, all right, cool. We'll, sure, we'll send a ship of women. Um, so they call up the Lieutenant Thomas Edgar, who had sailed with James Cook on his last voyage, uh, the, and the steward, John Nickel. And when I read steward, I thought like a younger man, that's like, one day I want to be a sailor. It's an old man that's just writing things, but he ended up like marrying one of the, I don't know. So they load up 226 female convicts. Uh, most of them were London prostitutes, but there were some more hardened criminals, thieves, uh, shoplifters, and like basically like crime bosses. Um, of women, they also they yeah, where they're like compared to the dudes that are out there. No, no. Well, in these two hundred and fifty like new fucking you're in trouble things, one of them was like, "Did you receive stolen goods? You're out of the country." Um, yeah, so 
the trip was, it started on July 29th, 1779, and they ended up landing on June 6th, 1790. So that's 309 fucking days. Jeez. Um, yeah, so that's over, well, that's about twice as long as it took for the other, um, the other deliveries of humans to Australia. Um, but this, this trip, they did some stopping. Uh, they stopped in the Canary Islands, Santiago, Rio de Janeiro, where they spent seven weeks, okay. Cape of Good Hope, where they spent four weeks. What was this? So they're just kind of cool. Right, right. Uh, it was. Uh, they were having wanted to ultimate get... excursions from yeah. their cruise. It's fine. Yeah. These days, we just call it backpacking across Europe, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, no, we're prisoners. Oh, God. Look I have over there. Club at the hostel now. Yep. So, obviously, Lady Juliana, the both they were on, gained the reputation for being a floating brothel. Uh, so, when they were at sea, the crewmen and the dudes on the boat were, like, taking a wife wink regularly. But if you became a wife of one of the crew members, you got, like, better provisions and sleeping arrangements. And you're like, I'm a kept woman, but you're also still not at all. Um, and then at port, seamen from other <laughs> ships were freely entertained, um, but also not so freely, uh, as far as actual money goes. The officers on the boat were like, whatever, you guys do you, all right, just whatever. Um, and they even let the women keep some of the money from the, the Aww. hookering. It's so sweet. Aww. Um, Yeah. So usually keep a portion of her doubloons. You get some of this, sweetie. <laughs> you did a good job. So usually when they were transporting criminals, the ship's like top dogs would assign uh jobs to the convicts on board. Um, you know, one to actually get help, but two to keep these guys busy, right? Well, since these were all just dainty-ass women, uh, no effort had been made into, like, how do we keep these ladies busy? So, obviously, you know, in some of the reports, they're like, the women were noisy and unruly. They were really into booze and fighting amongst themselves. It's like, yeah, what the fuck else are we going to do? We're locked in this boat. That's literally what people are doing right now, except the fighting amongst themselves is gossiping with any amount of anything we have to share. Sorry. It's all Zoom related. It's fine. At least we get to keep some of our money. (laughs) Some of it. Uh, (laughs) Not all of it. No. So during the journey, only um, four women died, uh, which is only 2% of the entire, like, I did that math on my own, by the way, did not read that. I just, did that on my own. I like the, I like the idea of like, only four women died. <laughs> That's Thank like, well, God. one man. That's exactly <laughs> 
at the time though that was incredibly low for that long of a journey as convicts on a convict cruise like the uh the like second one of dudes that came through they were just it was fucking awful they they didn't eat for 150 days or whatever pretty much anyway so the way they did this um the way they kept the the death rate so low was they the lieutenant thomas edgar and the surgeon on board richard alley they um they really did a lot of work to make sure that everybody was okay um the rations were properly issued and the vessel was actually kept clean and fumigated um of mice the, you don't want the ladies yeah? the tables in their high-heeled boots Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. not on an open sea you could slip and break a titty uh breaking a hip if you know what i mean yeah so they also allowed the women to go up on the deck, which was also not a common thing in these uh, crime boats. And then the they like rationed out the supplies of fresh food that they were getting at these ports of call since they were spending months on end there. So this is really, I mean, it really was kind of like a cruise uh, as far as like of the times. Um, and then the women were all issued convict dresses and asked to wear them and as the ship's captain he had a right to get rid of all of their original clothing but he didn't on this boat he was like you know what you guys can have this when we're there um well that was nice of him to not make them dress up like whatever well they had to on the boat but then he, instead of like getting rid of their clothes, oh. he was like, that's fine. We'll keep them. We'll give them to you later. But you all have to dress the same here. It's still boat jail. Um, so when the Lady Juliana lands at Port Jackson, which is Sydney, uh, on June 6, 1790, the first... They were the first ship to arrive since the first fleet. So there was the first fleet of criminals and there's the second fleet. Well, Juliana comes in between. So it's two and a half years after the first fleet arrives. Um, And there's, you know, as they arrive, it's 222 women and as many as seven newborn infants that were not there at first. Um. And you would be surprised at how fucking pissed uh, the dudes running the colony were because uh, Port Jackson was being a real Jamestown, Virginia. Uh, All of the people are starving. The HMS uh, Sirius, like XM or Black, uh, had gone out for supplies from the Cape of Good Hope and on the way back they wrecked at Norfolk Island. Well, that was... The next boat they were expecting and that's that did not happen for them so hundreds of these starving criminal colonists uh lined up to greet the ship thinking like oh food thank god so then when these women get off the boat they're like what the fuck um and the judge advocate was like 
you know, I'm enraged about this arrival of, quote, a cargo so unnecessary and so unprofitable as 222 females instead of a cargo of provisions. Sure. And then Lieutenant Ralph Clark (laughs) was dead ass like, yeah, I'm pissed about this arrival of these, quote, damned whores. All right. Uh, One of you did not go to finishing school. So then Lady Juliana also brought the first news in two and a half years that the colony had gotten. And like, it's fine, you know, whatever, except, oh, hey, the French Revolution busted out. Also, these women are now here. So uh, figure it out. Um, Also, since the onboard experience was kept so nice and, and clean, the colonists were like, uh, these bitches look like they had an okay trip. What the fuck? Um, so there's a lot of just, like, really weird negative feelings going on. And then two weeks later, the store ship Julian arrives, uh, and the dudes are like, oh, okay, well, uh, cool. Now we have food. Oh, and now we have these women, so that's fucking cool. So that's how the founding mothers of Australia got there um and many of these women discovered like a new found sense of freedom uh from the constructs of society under the mad king george and classism and shit and so these women were like this is a fucking opportunity um and there's a lot of uh i think one of them has like 300 uh direct descendants or something what year was she prolific in birthing oh i don't know what year did this happen well this uh i mean this was the they arrived uh in 1780 okay 90 but then she had you know she had like whatever let's say five kids they had five each like that descendants that all the way down so that would be what is that like eight generations ten where's karina right yeah i have no fucking idea man man i do have sweet potato fries though and they're fucking good hell yeah dude Mm all right doordash couldn't find me as usual you're fine. What'd you get? Pole. Yum yum. Oh, is it my turn? It's your turn. You're up. No, I missed the the ladies. Did they? Oh, uh, we were after. We can. They cut did that. a lot of. Yeah. No. Uh, they did. They lived happily ever after. One of them has like three hundred descendants. Also. I think that same one was the youngest on board the ship over at like some people, uh, some things I read said 11 and some said 13, but she definitely babies having babies. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, well, let's talk about, I don't even know what to call him. Let's start with his given name of John Keehan. He was born in 1939 in the south side of Chicago. 
uh, well-to-do kind of Irish-American family. So like his mom showed up on the society pages from time to time. And uh, he grew up just kind of a regular kid, learned to box in high school, joined the Marines in the 50s where he learned martial arts because this was the Korean War and uh, that's when like America <laughs> discovered martial arts, I guess. Um, so he kind of got uh, into that. And when he finished up his stint in the Marines, he was like, I'm going to keep going with this karate stuff and went to train at the pretty much one of the only dojos in America at the time uh, in Arizona. Uh, it's run by this guy named Robert Trias who is credited with pretty much bringing martial arts to America. So uh, this is like the, the OG karate guy. Uh, Bruce Lee visited there. It's unclear if he trained there or whatever, but he was there in Phoenix. Got his second degree black belt. So that made him one of the only black belts in America. And then went back to Chicago to become like the United States Karate Association's like Black belt ambassador to the Midwest. So he's like, sweet. What, well, why? Hmm? I'm sorry. Why Arizona? Why not? I you guess. From Arizona, right? This is, this is how they roll. They get into weird yeah. stuff. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, anyway. Oh. Even at the at this point, he was like not just sort of normal into karate. He was like way into karate. So he opens up a dojo called Black Dragon on the south side of Chicago. Um, and he started teaching pretty much anybody who would learn from him. And he was, by all accounts, an excellent instructor. Um, but something happened with Robert Trias. And Trias kicked him out of the United States Karate Association. Um, now, accounts have differed since then. It's a little unclear why. Um, Kehan asserts that it was because he was teaching Black and Hispanic kids and that Trias was a big old racist. Um, and Trias said, well, we just didn't have any people of color because they, there weren't any yet, and, and lame excuses like that. But also just said that Kehan was constantly trying to like, take over karate in America. Uh, his business is going well. He buys a lion and starts walking it around <laughs> on the south side of Chicago on a leash and uh, starts like kind of picking fights with the other dojos that are opening up, claiming they're not doing the real karate. The only he is the real karate master. This is like a movie. Oh my God. It's, uh, they're trying to make a documentary of it, but there's so little footage. It's all like just kind of right. in lore. Anyway, he starts throwing these karate tournaments all over the Midwest, and uh, they are no holds barred, no rules, just nothing but like the bad guys from Karate Kid style fighting. Blood, no punches are illegal. Um, Bruce Lee, I think, goes to one of them, so like it's getting like some, and this is pre and you know pre Bruce Lee fame. Um, but it's still, it's like legit, but also like on the borderlines of that. 
Um, Kian is also famous for being able to like break cinder blocks and boards, which is like a very familiar trick now, but he was breaking actual bricks and actual boards, not just like the balsa wood stuff that they have kids do. So like he was like a cross between legit and a little bit of a colorful character. Hmm. Um, around then he changes his name. Two. Oh, I gotta find it. Gotta find it. Lick Willie. No, no, no. Classic. Even Biblical, better. even. Uh, Count Juan Dante. Mm. And he starts claiming that he is descended from Spanish royalty who fled the Spain in during the Spanish Civil War to Ireland and then immigrated to America, and that he was reclaiming his birthright as Spanish nobility, and his name was Count Dante. This was all bullshit. And he started wearing capes and trimming his beard in a close cut manner and kind of like all around recruiting like uh, an air of like badassery, which included trying to set pipe bombs off in a rival dojo, uh, which didn't work. And he got caught and he got put on two years probation. And he's like, sorry, sorry. I took that too far. Oops. (laughs) (laughs) But, didn't mean oh, to injure all those children. It's he didn't fine. injure anybody. Yeah, everything was fine. It was just, it was a prank, you know, but whatever. Uh, then in 1964, he's picking a fight with another uh, dojo that's run by a former student of his. And they go over there uh, to like do the challenge, man. He takes a couple of his students. They go over in their little, you know, outfits geese i don't know all the like terms uh and they go over and uh actually it's the rival studio that comes to him and he hears them coming and they grab the swords off the walls they get ready to rumble basically rival people come in uh the fighting does commence people get stabbed in the gut uh blood is everywhere (laughs) Um, the guy who's dying staggers out the door and says, call the cops. This is over. John Key or Count Dante is like, yeah, man, this is, uh, this is all over, man. We can, we can stop it now, but the students are still like fucking fighting each other. What? Uh, all of a sudden done, his former student, uh, dies on the sidewalk and several others have to be taken to the hospital to be treated for injuries. Really bad show. Um, and it really Count Dante, like he doesn't want to be the flamboyant guy with the pet lion and uh, the crazy everything anymore. Oh, shoot. I left out the best part. I'm so sorry. The reason anybody. I, <laughs> I love that you said shoot. I love you. <laughs> the reason anybody knows about Count Dante is that he took out an ad in pretty much every comic book and uh, like. Uh, pulp fiction magazine in the day advertising himself as the world's deadliest man alive and if you bought a membership to the black dragon fighting society you get a brochure teaching you the eight moves that could kill people just with your bare hands the world's deadliest moves ever Um, and he sold a lot of those for five bucks also He took some of that money and diversified by opening up a salon uh, where he was a hairdresser. 
And so he would help people get wigs and get haircuts. And he was even Hugh Hefner's favorite hairdresser. This was in the mid 60s in Chicago for his playmates. So he did the hair for a bunch of centerfolds in the early days of Playboy. That's a big deal. Yeah, but also what? Yeah, I know. This is is Count Dante guy, right? I love him. (laughs) No more. I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. So anyway, this fight thing though, like it really, it puts a damper on his whole life. And uh, he doesn't go to jail. He's acquitted of actually physically or personally doing anything other than impersonating an officer. Cause I guess when the cop showed up, he uh, told them that he was also a cop, uh, which was a bad move. <laughs> That's such a fucking cool move. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, ma'am. Can you step out? Of- I'm also a cop. Get off my dick. It's okay. I'm also a cop. <laughs> so hard (laughs) um and uh i think it was an attempted murder anyway (laughs) (laughs) he gets put on uh probation for all this shit obviously but the judge does acquit him he's like look nobody the the guy who killed the guy he's he got thrown in jail but like count dante was like more inciting violence but he didn't like he's trying to stop it and that was all witnesses corroborated on that like when the shit got real he was like whoa so he makes it very public that he's no longer going to fight anybody unless it's completely in self-defense and this death thus endeth the 60s and that got into the 70s era of count dante which is when martial arts really took off in america so like this is when bruce lee hit it big uh you know with enter the dragon in 73 uh, also the year that he got killed. Um, and uh, like all the kind of Kung Fu uh, becoming uh, popular. So it was like, this is the perfect time for Count Dante to make a comeback. And when Bruce Lee died, uh, the people tapped him to come test, screen test to like fill his role as the next big karate master. So Count Dante shows up in a yellow mesh leotard uh, with a purple cape and uh, does a screen test. And there's no solid evidence of why he didn't get the part, but rumors have it from people who are Count Dante's friend, it was because his brutal lightning fast hand techniques were too fast for film. And rumors from the studio side are that he literally didn't pull his punches and beat the shit out of all the other stunt actors. <laughs> he just like actually kicked everybody. You know, I'm going to go with the first one. Yeah. Either way, he didn't get the job. So he goes back to Chicago. Uh, he does throw one more tournament, but even he was kind of bored of it at that point and sad. And everybody said it was a sad tournament. Uh, and also his hair styling uh, business is kind of getting involved in the Chicago-based mafia. Um, and he starts doing little side hustles as a uh, muscle for them. Um, he uh, was selling adult books um, and also doing, um, you know, uh, enforcing, I guess. Uh, what was it he actually got busted for? It was something really weird and sad. Um, so, but he, he's like lost, he just never got his spark back after the whole death in the fight thing. Um, 
and he got real sad and started doing painkillers and booze in like massive quantities and then just flat out drops dead at age 36 in 1955. Yeah. So he is a total legend in Chicago. Like, like in the sense that he's legendary and everybody knows about him, but like, there's no footage of him. Like the only footage, the film footage of him is silent. And there's like five seconds of it. And there's so much bullshit surrounding him about his true origins and what he could really do. Cause he would claim he killed people with like the palm of his hands. And he, he would claim that he had, you know, uh, stopped an assailant by poking his eye out. And then like, these were all like, nobody could corroborate that, but he did do some legit weird shit. Like he went to Muhammad Ali's house in Chicago and challenged him to a fight, uh, which Muhammad Ali declined. Um, but like he, he was just a bigger than life guy. So they're trying to make a documentary about him because his life is essentially like Tiger King a little bit, but also a little bit. Um, who's that guy who was on Eastbound and Down when he did that? Yeah, Danny, yeah, Danny right? Powers, <laughs> right? Kenny- Kenny Power. I've been imagining Danny McBride this whole time, but yeah. Yeah, it totally looks like Danny McBride. It looks like a really fit Danny McBride. Um, Damn. And then also a little bit like legit Bruce Lee, Chuck Norris, like he could actually fight and was maybe going to be the next big action star if he didn't like keep shooting himself in the foot, right? Um, They're trying to make a documentary about him, but nobody really knows what's going on with him, so they can't get the real footage they can't get the real story and it's been in development hell for about five years um but that's the latest on him and i would not be surprised if that documentary came out in the next year or two um this time this guy is too cool i read like three super long articles about him and like they all have more tidbits in them that the other ones missed um he's buried in an unmarked grave which is hilarious this is hilarious. Oh, there you go. Okay, so he was the thing he got busted for for doing for the mafia uh, was that he was uh, part of a, a team or a squad or whatever you call criminals, uh, Australians, uh, who stole <laughs> four million dollars from the headquarters of something called the Perlator Security Society. Anyway, uh, he showed up in you court. Can- in you his and uh, the Chicago Tribune described him as a former hairdresser who wears a coat and calls himself Count Dante. So, like, you bitch, yeah. yeah, that's kind of mean. He, he's pretty awesome, he uh, fucking rules, yeah. So, anyway, look up Count Dante if you like just want an afternoon of Joe Exotic style antics that are. Just hilarious and sad at the same time. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I want that. Yeah, right? I wish there was a uh, movie or something pointing to, but there isn't. I feel like there will be, and I feel like they need to do it in the next two years before Danny McBride is just full gray hair or some shit. Yeah, I feel like Danny, I think Danny McBride already kind of did the Count Dante story. Fictionalized. Yeah. There's a bunch of YouTube videos out there that kind of recap what I recapped. And then there's a bunch of really in-depth articles from like the Chicago Reader that you can find. And uh, somebody did a really good expose on Medium. So 
it's out there. I love that. I love that Medium has become like a news source. Right? <laughs> so weird. I I will never get over him telling the cops that he's a cop. It's that a brilliant good. tactic. A true, true bullshit artist, like trying to cover his tracks. Cops show up, he's like, it's okay, I'm one of you. I got it under control. That's fucking, that's so good. Yeah. That's so good. We're done, bitch. Yes. That's it. We did it. I Let's wish go we burn weren't down all, a gym. Yeah, I wish we weren't all separate. Sucks. But yeah, we can always go burn down our own home gyms, find aliens. I'm gonna call the cops on myself just so I can be like, I'm one of you. <laughs> Is this working? Did that work? I can't tell. Let me know. Do y'all get it? Do you even get it? Cops get it. Oh my god.